This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is The Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming back to The Bonfire here in the new year, 2017. 2017 is going to be a great year. You know, 2016 was amazing. 2017 will be even better. And I don't just say that because I'm full of it, which I'm not. Let me be clear, I'm not. Although, well, let's not get into that. I believe it's going to be a great year because of all these books and movies and conversations that I have with my friends and family. That's why I like culture. That's why I thought about starting the bonfire thinking, wait a minute, why don't why don't I just have a show not called The Andrew Herzog Show? Call it Bonfire so that one day I can start talking about culture, bring other people in, do interviews, have some guest uh, co-hosts, have regular co-hosts, you know, the whole shebang. Uh, It's been almost a year now that I've been on the Blaze Radio, which is amazing. You know, I'm very blessed. And now I'm starting to think, all right, well, what am I going to do with my 2017? I did not get to do a podcast last week because all of the, the technology here in the studios is different. If I sound a little different... That's because I'm using the official Blaze Radio switchboard and all, all the bells and whistles here in the new studios. That's what they did over Christmas and New Year's break. So I did plan on doing a New Year's episode that would have gone out New Year's Eve, you know, just like every other Saturday. But the equipment was not here. Nothing was hooked up. I couldn't do anything. So I felt like an idiot. Here I am, though, to talk about stuff that I wanted to talk about last week. A movie review a book review, sort of a, some opining, as I always do. And then, of course, looking forward to saying, here's what we're going to get this year. Here's what I will be striving for in 2017. But first off, let me do the movie review, because that's why you come here. You come to the bonfire because you want politics? Hell no! You want movies. You want books. You want culture. That's all important. It really is. I have stressed that numerous times, countless times, here on the show, how important it is, and the fact that that's where most of our energy and attention is spent on a regular basis, whether we like that or not. The fact is, you could talk to almost anybody about movies, books, sports, things that are happening in your life versus politics. I'm not a political talking head. I don't want to be. I will leave that to the other people, people who are much better at it than I am. So, Without further ado, here's a movie that I saw over Christmas break with my girlfriend. She recommended it, and I thought, all right, sure, I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a try. I saw the trailer years ago. I think this movie came out in, shoot, must have been uh, 2013 is what it looks like. And I never saw it, but it always piqued my interest. Well, then I finally saw it and thought, wow, that was actually pretty good. Pleasantly surprised. So here, let me go ahead and play you the trailer here on the new system. 
My name is Tim, and this Hi, is Tim. the year that would change my life forever. Happy New Year! I just didn't know it yet. Tim, my dear son, this is going to sound strange, but there's this family secret that the men in the family can travel in time. This is such a weird joke. It's not a joke. If it's true, which it isn't, although it is. But if it was, which it's not, which, which it is, how would I actually... You go into a dark place, clench your fists, think of the moment you're going to, and you'll find yourself there. A complicated year. It's going to be a complicated life. For me, it was always going to be all about love. I'm Tim. I'm Mary. It's my mother's name. I remind you of your mother. Obviously, I should have thought this through more. Could you give me one second? I'm Tim. I'm Mary. I love your eyes. Do you? I love the rest of your face, too. Haven't even looked further down, but I'm sure it's all fantastic. I'm sure it'll be better next time. Well done. Some people make a real mess of it the first time. Amateurs. Some days you want to relive forever. Will you marry me? I think I'll go for... Yes. Some days you only want to live once. So uninterested in a life without your father. It never occurred to me that I might lose you. I never said you could fix everything. Not without consequences. It's so good to see you. We've never met before. Oh no. What do I do? You have to use it to make your life the way you want it to be. I never know what the future holds, just like everyone else. Time catches up to all of us. My son. My dad. I try to live every day as if it was the final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. I hope I see you again. You will. My whole life depends on it. It's called About Time. Now, I'll say this first. It is not a chick flick. A chick flick is where it is a female protagonist focusing on getting the dude and that's about it it can be funny it can be cheesy and there's no underlying message necessarily it can just be oh that's so nice you got the man okay no about time is not a chick flick because the main character the protagonist is a male first of all therefore already it should not be a chick flick Second, it has a deeper message than just love. Although we said that in the trailer, I'll give him that, saying, hey, I'm going to use this power for love. Okay, that's kind of cheesy. <laughs> to use that in a tagline in the trailer, all right, it is cheesy, but there is a deeper message. When you watch the movie, you think, all right, all right, this is a pretty substantial guy here. You know, he's not, uh, he's not just fooling around. He's not looking to get laid. He's looking for his wife and building the life that he wants. And then number three... Shoot. <laughs> oh, what is it? I just had it. It's a dude. He's not just looking for love. There's a deeper message. And it's not cheesy. That's number it. Number three. It's not cheesy like just god-awful like Hallmark movies. And <laughs> they're so bad they're good. Yeah, not like this. I thought this was a high-quality movie. I give it a four out of five on the bonfire scale. I think that's the first official... I've given a 4 out of 5. I do not give it a 5 out of 5 
really just because sometimes it's pretty explicit, either with the, the content that they're, they're talking about or the sex scene that you do see in the movie. You're like, all right, well, that's Hollywood. What are you going to do? So that's why I don't give it a five out of five, because I don't need to see that, okay? I can understand the story if you were to just to say, oh, yeah, so I, I slept with him the other day. You could just say that. You don't have to show me, and you don't have to get into details about it. That's just my personal opinion. That's what I prefer all movies would do, is that if you do want to include some sexual references or bits in the storyline, okay, don't show it to me. We all know what it is. We all know how you do it. Okay. I don't need to see it. None of us do. With that aside, I thought it was a great movie. Here's the takeaway. The bonfire takeaway. It's about realizing, look, you only have one life. Yes, cliche. We all know that. But live every day as if it were your last. All right, another cliche. The story here, though, is he can time travel. So he can choose to go back and relive it if he wants to. Of course, that's going to raise some problems. He'll think, hmm, I could have done this thing a little better. Let me go back in time and try it all over again. If he does that, though, he might screw something else up, and then that'll affect something else down the road, and then he'll realize, oh, wait a minute, because I tried to go back and fix it, I screwed that over there. Should I go back and try it again? And then his dad, who's done it all his life, is trying to teach him along, and you start thinking as you're watching the movie, like, hmm, what would I do? Um, is that moral? Um, is that really the smartest thing to do? Um... And there's advice in the movie that the father gives to the son, and you think, wow, you know, if I had that power, would I do what the father told me to do? That's, that's kind of a tough choice. And then, like you said in the trailer, there's only days you want to live once. It'd be so bizarre, so surreal if you had that power to almost avoid it. It's a little bit like the movie Click, which I talked about before. If you had the power to fast-forward or rewind... Actually, can you rewind and click? I don't think you can. You can go back in the past and see things, but you can't actually relive it. Here in About Time, he can redo an actual event and think, well, let's give it another try. Should we be doing that? Should you live that way? Uh, it, obviously, none of us have that power, but that's the right attitude to have to say, you know what? It's in the past. What's done is done. I need to take control of my day today. That's what I can do. And enjoy every day, the ups and the downs. Next thing you know, your your life's going to be over. <laughs> That's what older people are always telling me. Andrew, you know, the, the your life just flashes before your eyes. Next thing you know. Okay. I can believe that. 2016 flew by. In my perspective, I can't even begin to imagine older people who think, yeah, that, that was my life. My life is gone. I am now old. I've had kids. Now I have grandkids. I'm retired. Can't even begin to imagine. So it was a good movie. I was entertained. It was about two hours. Okay. That's a little bit on the lengthier side. Of movies and had a good message there are things in it that I will not talk about because you know spoiler alert just like in any movie you don't want to talk about it bonfire does recommend go check it out all right four out of five it's worth your time and it makes you think I like those movies that make you think not just entertain you I'm not looking to you know giggle for 90 minutes <laughs> I mean I like to laugh I like movies that do that I like movies that make me think but this is these are I thought some relatively deep issues highly bonfire recommended go check it out here in the new year this is the bonfire on demand on the blaze radio network 
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. This is The Bonfire On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Here's your host, Andrew Herzog. All right, a quick book review here. It's called David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, and I've read one of his books before, and it was called Outliers that had to do about all about success on how people who have achieved such great success... Why are they outliers? What makes them so different from the rest of us? And he breaks it down saying, you know what? What it really is is more about opportunity than some super genius intelligence kind of thing. He did, he did try to avoid saying it's all about luck. You know, that Bill Gates, for example, happened to be at the right place at the right time with the right parents in the right city and the right skills that he was taught as a child, whatever. He did avoid saying, look, it's all luck, but he did say... Certain situations did present themselves, but the individual was smart enough to realize, let me take advantage of this situation. Oh, and then let me take advantage of that next one. And then the next one, it takes multiple stepping stones of being in the right place at the right time with the right intelligence to notice, hey, I need to do that. So he kind of broke it down. He told, you know, several different anecdotes. It's a couple hundred pages. I enjoyed it. Here's another one he called David and Goliath. It's all about underdogs, misfits, and the art of battling giants. Thinking, hey, is it really such a bad thing to have a quote-unquote disadvantage? And what what is so great about having a quote advantage? He breaks it down into more anecdotes and has all these different chapters and explaining it um and he did explain here david and goliath he thought hey that term (laughs) when you say i'm fighting my own goliath you know people understand oh so someone that is much stronger than you, better than you, something that's really out outmatched you, and yet you're up against this battle that you, you're the underdog. You're probably not going to win. That's how people are taking it. He said, oh, wait a minute. Let's back up and think here for a second. David was actually not such an underdog if we kind of do a little historical research and read into a few things here. He postulated, hey, anybody back in the day actually would have looked at David and Goliath and said, David's the clear winner. Goliath here is the underdog. So that's what Malcolm does. Gladwell is really good at making you just think counterintuitively and think, well, you know, I didn't even think of that. That's completely different. That's almost the complete opposite of what we're led to, of what we were taught or what we're led to believe. You know, he, he has a knack for doing that kind of thing. It's crazy. And in one of the chapters here, which was, I believe, chapter one, the advantages of disadvantages and the disadvantages of advantages. Mm. (laughs) Um, It's really, I think, the first few chapters. I'm going to find one of the best um, quotes here. I underlined a number of things in here. The successful people, you know, they learn to value money differently. Any idiot can just spend money. Okay, yeah. It takes a real smart guy to learn to save. I just thought that was interesting. That's what I'm trying to do on my own, you know. I've talked about how to budget here before, the 50-20-30 rule on Bonfire. 50% 50% goes to your, you know, expenses, things you have to spend your money on. 20% should go to savings. And then 30% can be your fund spending on whatever you want. He's saying here, look, yeah, you need to be saving. 
Only an idiot would not save a portion of his income for a rainy day. Here's something that I found. The scholars who research happiness suggest that more money stops making people happier at a family income of around $75,000 a year. So, some research and some scholars, they say a family income of $75,000 a year is the sweet spot. Because any more than that, there doesn't seem to be any more happiness in your life once you make more than that. So, people who make six figures they're not necessarily any happier than people who aren't. I, th- I would think most of us are actually not in the six-figure uh, sum on a yearly basis, certainly as individuals. As a family, you might be. So that kind of makes you think. You're like, wait a minute, so you got some scholars and people that say, as a family, you're good with $75,000 a year? That's what I like here about his books. And he's got all the research in the back and what he's quoting and... Uh, his sources, which if you want to keep digging deeper, you can do that. I like it when books do that. They don't just make stupid assumptions. If you want to dig into it deeper, you can. That made me think, okay, wait a minute. So then should I shoot to get six figures now as an individual if he says here some people believe 75 a year as a family is enough you know, to pay your bills and keep the family happy? I don't know. It kind of made me think. Maybe I'm working too hard. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. I like all that stuff. And then teaching kids. Here's the point he's making about disadvantages. People who are quote-unquote poor, people will hear that term and think, already, you're disadvantaged. He'd say, well, wait a minute. Some people who were poor, and now they've grown into successes, say, hey, because I was poor as a kid, that's what motivated me to make me who I am today. That helps define who I am. It's a part of my being now. The fact that I grew up poor. Now, I'm wealthy. Okay, good for you, Bob. And then Bob will say, but I'm not going to do that to my kids. I may be filthy rich, but I'm not just going to buy my kids anything. I'm going to teach them the same lesson. The same lesson of, hey, money is valuable. Don't just blow it. You need to earn your way in this life. Some people, however, don't do that. They spoil their kids because they say, hey, I never got that as a kid, so I'm going to spoil my kids. But what's that going to do? That's probably going to backfire, and then your kids are going to be spoiled, and then they're going to waste away their adult lives and be terrible money managers, and then you're back to square one. So a lot in this book is all about the inverted you sort of graphs suggesting, hey, at the very bottom of the barrel, if you make 15 grand a year, yes, that's horrible. You're, in a, you're definitely low income, and that's a terrible way to live. So then you want to shoot for the top of that U, which uh, some are suggesting is about eh, $75,000 a year. Then beyond that, when you start making more money, you're actually going to start dipping back down to low quality of life. So it's an inverted U. There is such a thing as having too little money and you have a terrible life and having too much money and you have a terrible life. So throughout this entire book, no matter what it is, whether it's intelligence, it's money, situations you find yourself in, too little or too much can be bad. There's a, there's a sweet middle spot where it's ideal. So in this book, I think it was about two, 250, 300 pages. Yeah, 300 pages. So it's relatively hefty. I think I had to spend a couple, couple weeks reading it. But Bonfire does recommend it. It is an eye-opener, and it makes you think. You read one chapter whenever you do it, and then you sit there and just digest it for... Of several days thinking, what did I just read? Okay, maybe I have to go back through it again. Maybe make some highlights and try to really understand what he's getting at. 
There is a point at which money and resources stop making our lives better and start making them worse. Okay. Interesting. Good to, good to kind of keep, keep and think in mind. And let's find one more quick one. Let's see. There comes a point where the best intentioned application of power and authority begins to backfire. Now, the here was a chapter about incarceration where it said, yes, you still need to throw people in jail. But if you throw too many people in jail, that's actually going to backfire and hurt the communities that you took them from because the majority are men. And those men are now no longer being fathers or sons in their families. Most importantly, fathers. So now if that father is away for years at a time, he no longer is a father figure to the kids. He may be a stupid idiot, and you might think, well, he's probably not the best father, so probably a good thing that his son no longer has him. But hold up, that's going to still wreck the child, probably. If you don't have a father in the home, you have to have a father and a mother. you got to have both. So if you incarcerate too many people and just throw them all in jail, and you leave them in there for a long enough period of time then you're probably going to hurt the community and then you're just going to perpetuate the cycle. And then he's going to be like, well, you know, my father was in jail. I'm going to pursue that kind of life too because I don't care. And then they're just going to categorize the entire police system as the bad guy and then say, I don't care. My dad's a felon. Well, so am I. And then they take pride in it. It's just this, this whole book goes over that concept of it's not, everything is not as it appears. And he's not saying, I am right, I am Malcolm Gladwell. No, he's saying, here's what I'm thinking, here's what I might have found, and I thought I would present it into a book. And let's all think about this together. Okay. I like that. I, I think uh, most of this in this book made sense to me. I thought it was worth a read. So Bonfire recommends it. David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. The takeaway. Everything is not as it seems. The Bonfire, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Stupid internet stuff. Huh, click here for free. Oh, I got a virus. Smart internet stuff. Uh, at Doc Thompson Show, Doc is uh, looking to start a new show, SCU, Stupid Criminals Unit. I, you think I'm joking? I think this is a good show. I think we've got something there. I mean, it needs to be tweaked a little bit, but I got yeah, it. Here it is. Tweeted, uh, what yeah. I learned today, CSIMB. What does MB stand for? Chris just figured it out. And, uh, MB, CSI Morning Blaze. The Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson. Weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. This is The Bonfire On Demand. Hosted by Andrew Herzog. On the Blaze Radio Network. Some of you might know that I have written a series of short stories for bonfirethoughts.com. And it all has to do with Jared. I've written four chapters. You know, first one called Home Alone. Chapter 2, The Morning After, Chapter 3, Blurred Lines, Chapter 4, Into the Light. And now finally, the final chapter of Jared's Journey. Just Jared's Journey, huh? Alliteration. Um, it's called The Harbinger. I'm going to read it real quick. Let me hold and remind you where he had just left off. I'm not going to get into all of it. That's up to you to go to the main website, bonfirethoughts.com, and click on the short story uh, category, and you will see Home Alone. That's the first uh, uh, first chapter. And then they just they roll out from there. Five chapters, short and sweet. And here's the final one. Without further ado. Jared turned on the TV and noticed that Annabelle was on TV again. Jared just sat in disbelief. 
This couldn't be coincidence. This was wrong. All wrong. He found himself just sitting there watching. He felt compelled to watch the movie, almost as if something was making him do it. The more he watched, the more disturbed he became. But he also started noticing specific details in the movie, like the layout of the apartment, the brand of the record player, and how many windows the living room had. Then suddenly it hit him. Annabelle was in the dream, too. In his dream, Jared was watching Annabelle when he began hearing the strange noises, and he didn't remember picking up on specific details in the movie like he was this time. Just then, a noise at the front door. He paused the movie. Scratches and tapping, some rustling. Heightened senses. Almost a sixth sense. Briefly hesitating, Jared got up from the couch and walked through the kitchen to the front window to look outside before turning around in seeming anticipation. Crash! Just as he suspected. Jared turned back to the living room to see, for the first time, the foul shadow by the window. The smell, the vile odor he was so familiar with now appeared once more. Rotten eggs, decaying flesh, brimstone, all rolled into one, now molesting his very being. The same distinct fear gripped him once more like in the dream, and the two stood there, motionless, staring each other down. Jared knew his next move. Once the creature inhales a deep breath, dash outside. On cue, the huddled specter inflated its lungs and prepared to pounce, and Jared was out the front door in a flash. This time, while running outside, Jared deliberately chose not to scream. Something was telling him that he wouldn't be necessary. Looking up into the night sky, taking in all the beauty of the cosmos and its infinite horizons, feeling the kiss of the wind on his neck, accepting his fate and feeling fulfilled, Jared closed his eyes and spread out his arms. The shadow approached quickly, anticipating its victory. But Jared knew better. A sudden flash of light like a bolt of lightning paralyzed Jared and threw him to the ground, and a deafening, unnatural screech filled his ears. Turning just in time to see the mangy creature writhe in pain and subsequently lifted off the ground by the throat and gutted. Jared shut his eyes in fear. Several seconds later, he noticed the gentle wind once again, and a quiet street with no one to be found, except the remains of the beast. He took to his feet and began approaching the heap when a voice came from behind him. That wound is painful, but it is well on its way to being healed. Be firm in your resolutions and the pain will soon turn into joy and peace. Jared saw no one, but felt someone was close. He asked, Who are you? To which the entity responded, I am the one who comes to fight with you. Your prophecy, that dream of yours, this struggle was destined for you. I come to the aid of many, and my work is not yet finished. Jared began to see that his dream was in fact a harbinger of this night, and it all made sense. The vagueness of the dream versus the definitiveness of reality, the odor, both, and the nourishing sunlight on the hilltop all came together to form this ethereal narrative that would change his life forever. As he was about to speak up and inquire more from the stranger, Jared found himself alone in the street. No more questions, no more answers. It was done. The Guardian had vanished. Jared had just experienced the craziest 24 hours anyone could imagine, and there wasn't a soul in the world he could share it with. Or was there? And that's it. Chapter 5. 5 out of 5 from the bonfire. Now, I did learn my lesson, though. I had a number of people, uh, friends, dear friends, who told me, So, I'm confused, Andrew. (laughs) What the hell happened? All right. That was my mistake because I wrote the first chapter on Halloween night, and I published the last one the day after Christmas. So, almost two months 
span, people are going to forget details. So from now on, when I do write short stories, I'm going to try to write it all down first. And then I will release, you know, chapters, let's call them. I'll release those every day until the story's over. That way it's a little more, it's a little more quick. People can remember those details and remember, well, what, what is this story about again? What happened last time? Okay, I know that this time. And in case you didn't know, if you've been keeping up, thank you. I appreciate that. This was my first attempt to just <laughs> share a full story from out of nowhere. Just, I just started writing one night. So basically, what I came up with was Jared had a dream. Then he woke up from the dream, and he wondered, wow, that was weird. Then he starts going about his business and says, wait a minute, was that a dream or was that reality? Because he starts to notice a few things like, well, that's kind of off. I'm a little confused now. And he starts smelling things. He, he sees a broken window, but no one else smells or sees what he's seeing. So he thinks he's going crazy. And then he goes to the top of the hill, and he's just kind of relaxing and thinking, all right, get a grip. You're losing your mind. He feels better, goes back to his house. And goes, wait a minute, kind of deja vu. I've seen this before. Oh, it's the movie. Oh, wait a minute. This seems a lot more detailed than it was in the dream. Because we all know, when you're in a dream, there are no specific details. You just, you're already somewhere in the middle of doing something already. And then when people are talking to you, you don't remember intricate details about their face or what they're wearing. Unless it's critical to the dream. You just don't know those details like you do in the real world. He started realizing, oh my gosh, I'm noticing a lot about this movie. So that reminds me, wow, now that I think about it, I was dreaming, and then I started hearing noises, and that's exactly what happens. He hears noises, starts walking to the kitchen, and remembers, wait a minute, when I started doing this, there was a crash in the living room. He turns around before there's even a crash. Then he walks back in and sees the creature in the same spot and says, oh yeah, I've seen this before. Here's what's going to happen. It's going to take a deep breath, and it's going to pounce, and I'm going to run out. So any second now, he's going to take a deep breath. And then the creature does. Then he runs out. He doesn't feel the need to scream. Something's telling him, I'll be fine. And then that's what happens. This guardian comes out of nowhere, slaughters the thing, and the remains are found there in the street the following morning before Jared had spoken to this stranger, the stranger that he couldn't see, who said, hey, this was your battle. You, this was a prophecy. Your dream was a prophecy. You are a, a prophesizer. You saw this coming. Your journey is just beginning. And before he could ask more questions, he disappears and thinks to himself, wow, this is crazy. So basically, it was a story of deja vu. A dream that actually foretold the future. So yes, he was actually attacked by a creature, but not in chapter one. That was a dream. Chapter five, he was actually attacked by the creature. I mean, that's what I attempted to do. So if that didn't make sense, then I butchered it. I apologize, but hey, it's my first try. What are you gonna do? The Bonfire, only on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. The Bonfire. Here's your host, Andrew Herzog. Now the final bit of the show here in the D-Block. I'm going to rant a little bit and give a takeaway, you know, say like, 
What is the point of this rant? Here's what it is. Basically, you can't stop technology. And you should not stop it. Even at the expense of jobs. Okay? That's the takeaway. Don't fight it. Here's the story. I usually go to Tom Thumb for my groceries here in Dallas. Uh, it may not be national. I forget if it is. I think there's Randall's and all sorts of other affiliates that may be the same parent company, but Tom Thumb is definitely a Dallas area grocery chain that I'm aware of. I go there because it's also up the street from my house, and I've been there for all my life. That is the grocery store that I go to, okay? So force of habit. The one by my house had self-checkout. I loved that. I'd get the handful of things that I needed. I would go scan it myself and then walk right on out. It was about as quick as it's going to be in, you know, grocery stores today. Until Amazon gives us its Amazon Go. You know, just walk right in, grab the food you want, and walk right out. But grocery stores are not there yet. That's why I love self-checkout. I was mostly in control, and it was pretty quick. The problem is, they took them out. They took them out by my house, and they just put two more regular lanes in there. Sure, they say express on it, but I think... You're going to make me stand here now, along with all these other people, and it takes you twice as long to scan my stuff, ask me these bloody questions, and then give you... Oh, it's just so irritating. I think, all right, wait, you took a step back by getting rid of the self-checkout and putting in just two express lanes. You already had express lanes. You didn't need more. You needed more bloody self-checkouts. The only thing I can think of is they were just like, well, it doesn't seem to be popular enough. And we have a couple of employees that are bored. So let's just take those out, put in some express lanes, and man two people on those things. Really? I don't know what else it could possibly be. I really don't. Self-checkout made my life a whole lot easier. Now you've made it more difficult. For me to just go buy some freaking milk takes twice as long. First world problems, yes, I'm fully aware. Thank you. But for me to now stand in line to say, look, all I have to do is this. I just want this. But I have to wait in line for all these other idiots that are trying to get their stuff and they have arguments and miscommunications and yeah, just slow as hell. I'm thinking, why? Because when I had the self-checkout, I, I understood it. There'd still be a number of people who would prefer to go to the express lane rather than the self-checkout. But when you gave me that option, I went one way and usually got out of the grocery store pretty quick. Now you're forcing me into the express lane with everybody else. Now we're all waiting. That was a stupid decision. The takeaway... You can't stop technology, okay? Self-checkout has been here for years. Why the hell did you take it out? Okay, and then let's say five, ten years. You're all going to be out of, out of a job, okay? Either self-checkouts will be all there is, or other companies are going to start doing what Amazon already is trying to do in Seattle. Just grab the thing you want and walk on out. We will charge it to your card later. We will charge it to your account. That is technology. That is efficient. That is far better easier for everybody's lives you damn right I am not going to go to the bank or the grocery store and say give me a person I want an individual to speak to today to help me no if I can push the damn button myself and go to McDonald's myself and say hey I want a hamburger let me push a button here and then it comes out and it's ordered all by itself I'm going to do that I don't need to talk to a cashier anymore this is the 21st century not 1932 So there's the rant. But now I feel better. I feel better because it is 2017. Bonfire is back. 
And in the coming year, I hope to have some regular co-hosts. That's the plan. I'm not going to say who they are because we're still we're still talking about it. And frankly, the radio room here that I'm looking at through this window here is still not completely set up. And that is where they would be sitting, whether I had guests or co-hosts. They'd be sitting in there to use those other mics. I'm using the one mic that's in this room with the uh, control board. So because of all this new setup and technology that they're putting into this room and trying to make sure everything is covered, all the bases are covered, I have to wait my turn. Okay, I can do that. So I do hope that all of it comes together. They have it in their schedules and their patience to say, sure, Andrew, I'll join you. This will be fun. Let's do it. Then we can have those discussions that I've been talking about for so long. This is not the Andrew Herzog Show. For about a year now, it's been nothing but me. All right. It's time to grow. Time to grow. Time to spice it up. Add some variety. And then let's see where it goes. Just keep plugging along. I like it. Everybody watch more movies, read more books, eat more food. That's what I say. I say that because I'm skinny. And my metabolism is stupid. Burns almost 2,000 calories a day. If I don't work out. And it sucks. <sighs> oh man, diet plans. People are always trying to lose weight. I'm trying to gain weight. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to The Bonfire, the first episode of 2017. Please find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and the main website, bonfirethoughts.com. Andrew Herzog, out. This is The Bonfire on the Blaze Radio Network.